With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What is up? What is good? How you living? How you doing? How you feeling? Connor Rogers, I'm going to be honest. I'm not feeling too great. This is going to be my Michael Jordan flu game. If I need you to carry me, do you got me? I got you, Lefko. You're a champ, though, for powering through. It's going to be a good one, my man. Don't worry, everybody. I got tested yesterday. I'm COVID-free. I just got a lot of stuff in my face. You know what else I have? A lot of stuff that we need to talk to because we are now 21 days away from the NFL draft. We are getting ready to have that three-day festival. Is it two days now? No, three-day festival with my guy, Connor Rogers, and some special guests. What we've been doing, uh, whether it's been on the BR app, as I'm watching right now, Gridiron Twitter, and of course, BR YouTube. I pick Connor's brain every week. He tells me different topics that I need to know. We've done quarterbacks. We've done most explosive players. Today, we are doing most debated prospects. We have this every year. I remember when Derrick Henry was debated. I remember when DK Metcalf was debated. So they always get fun. And we're going to have a special guest today, Mike Renner. Lead draft analyst for PFF. Connor, I know you were on his podcast. I know you respect what he has to say. I'm sure he's going to have a lot of great stuff. Also, as well, if you want your comments mentioned on the show, make sure you do it in the BR app. I am in the NFL draft stream right now. And if I see good ones, I will read them as we get ready. Let's first get right off the bat, Connor, with a video comment. That means if you've got a video comment, you are getting a BR Gridiron hoodie. So let's see where we're starting off, Connor. Hey, Connor and Lefko. This is Ryan here. So I had a quick question. As a devout Jets fan, I'm thinking about the future at two positions, wide receiver and quarterback. So for these prospects, who would be the better fit at wide receiver, Elijah Moore or Rashad Bateman? And at cornerback, Greg Newsom or J.C. Horn? Thanks. Keep up the great work, guys. Go for it, Connor. I love the question, first off, because those are really interesting debates when you look at the prospects. Now, for the first one at wide receiver, it's the harder one for me. I think Rashad Bateman is a first-round player and a better player, but in this situation, I'm actually going to go with Elijah Moore for the Jets because of what they need. They already got a guy that can make catches in traffic in Corey Davis, and they hope Denzel Mims can be that guy too. So instead, you go to Elijah Moore, a smaller player, but Tons of speed, 4-3 kind of speed, 4-3-6 kind of 40. Uh, really good vertical jump at his size. We know he's explosive. He can win over the top. He's very twitched up. You can get him going on those jet sweeps as well that we know Mike LaFleur and that offense is going to want to do. So I really like Elijah Moore in round two for the Jets if that's an option for them. Then you look at the corners. Now, this is where things get a little more interesting, but J.C. Horn is too talented for me uh, to not take him over Greg Newsom. When you look at Horn, the size – the press coverage ability, obviously the speed and explosiveness, but he just lives in receivers' pockets, and that's what he does. He makes a play on the ball over and over again. We know Robert Sala loves having guys on the back end with a little bit of attitude. You ever hear Richard Sherman there in that season they made it to the Super Bowl? So I think J.C. Horn is a great fit for that defense. So Elijah Moore, J.C. Horn, 
the Jets came out of the draft with two of those guys, you'd have to be really, really excited. The Jets are a completely different franchise now. They've made a trade, but I want to bring in our guest to break it all down. Let's bring in Mike Renner, PFF lead draft analyst. I'm very excited because I really just want to see his hair. Okay, it looks good. This is a super solid flow of tree. Uh, if all three of us are on camera, I am in third place. I have never felt this self-conscious about my flow. Mike, good to have you here. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, not quite what it once was with the length, but it, 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 I feel like it's all right now still. Uh, I was alluding to before the Sam Darnold trade, and I know that Connor knows the Jets extremely well. I, before we get into any of the app comments and stuff like that, your guys' initial reactions. Mike, you're first with the trade of Sam Darnold to Carolina. My initial reaction was no one wants you – know, the Falcons won't trade up with Carolina, and the Carolina doesn't think they're going to be able to get up to that class, and it just reeked, in my opinion, of desperation. You know, They don't want – they don't think Teddy Bridgewater is the guy. They obviously could not lead them on a lot of fourth-quarter comebacks last year, couldn't attack down the football field. So they kind of went the opposite way with a guy who – has that ability, but maybe is not nearly as accurate underneath. Maybe doesn't have uh, the sort of steadiness that you see from Teddy Bridgewater over the course of his career. So to me, it was just reeked of desperation. Yeah, I think when I look at it, you know, I, I, I agree with Mike that there just weren't a lot of dance partners for the Jets, right? You kind of got to this point where you, you heard the nonsense that, hey, they might get a first rounder for Darnold months ago. Uh, that didn't exist. And then as teams find their options in the offseason and the landing spots start to dwindle, they're looking at it and you're going, man, are they even going to be able to get a second round pick out of this? It might be a third round pick. And they end up getting a future second, fourth, and then a sixth this year, which is an adequate return for a player that's really struggled all three years, barring you know how bad the circumstances around him have been. But let's talk about the Panthers with this. Like Mike said, you look at the situation, uh, it just feels like they were kind of boxed into a corner with no options they felt great about. They probably can't move up to four, like he said. And then you start to wonder, is anyone going to fall to us? Is anybody going to be there after four that we like? Maybe they don't like all five quarterbacks, and they felt like they had to make a move. Now, the reason they're the one team that can afford this risk when you look at it, because a lot of guys, when they make a move for a quarterback, if it doesn't work out, they get fired in the NFL. Matt Rule is on a really, really long-term deal. They just hired Scott Fitterer to be their GM, so he's not going anywhere. It's never the first thing you want to hear about a deal, but if they do fail with Darnold for a year or two, and I don't think he'll be terrible under Joe Brady, but not ever going to be a star, then they have the, uh, you know, the leeway a little bit to try something else. There are plenty of thoughts right now. It seems as though we're going quarterback, 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 one, two, three. The Falcons seem to be the wild card, but we do have an app question here from Tucker G. Could the Panthers still go quarterback if Lance or Fields fall? What do you think, Mike? This is the intriguing scenario to me. If they do still go quarterback at a kind of just stand pat, play the board, and if one does fall for him, pull the trigger – because it'll be somewhat reminiscent now, though I've invested a lot more draft capital of when the Seahawks signed Matt Flynn way back 2012 and then still draft Russell Wilson. Still try to go get your guy, throw as many darts at a dartboard as humanly possible because it's the most valuable position in football. You saw what you had with a guy who Teddy Bridgewater, he's a solid starting quarterback in the NFL. You like there are he's one of the top 25 to 32 starting quarterbacks in the league. But it's not good enough when you're that guy. So when you're towards the bottom end of that, you have to have a perfect roster around him to win. So take as many shots as you possibly can. I'm all for that. Connor, let me jump in really quick. If Sam is their guy, and it sounds like there were a few other teams interested in Sam, the Niners being one, 
But if Sam is the guy for Carolina, where do you think they turn their attentions to at eight if the board plays out? I think it has to probably be the offensive line. Now, the corner class is really good at the top, and that's a need for them, even after the recent signing of Bouye they made. But when you look at it, you know, you brought back Taylor Moten on a franchise tag deal, a really good right tackle. You still have questions at left tackle. You could still use a guard. I don't really, I'm not really over the moon with signing Pat Elfline and saying that. So, for me, at eight, it's either got to be Penny Sewell or Rashawn Slater if you're going to go in that direction. And I think both of those guys could play guard if you ask them to, but in that scenario, they're stepping in and playing left tackle and probably playing left tackle at a high level. So it's a great question, Left Goat. They really do commit to Sam, and they're completely moved away from taking a quarterback, and they don't move out of that pick. It's a weird pick, too. You have to question if teams would come up into that spot. Well, the no-brainer offensive line picks, one of them at least should be on the board right there for the taking. Joey Cargo commenting, Sam Darnold will take us to the promised land. Hashtag keep pounding for Sam and for you. I hope so. That's a little bit yet to be seen. Renner, is it 100% locked that Zach Wilson's going to the Jets in your mind? I'd say it's 100% locked he goes too. Now, will the Jets move? Uh, I doubt it at this point. But yeah, I I think it's 100% as it gets that he's going to go number two overall. Connor, you agree? Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I kind of want to throw in a question here because Mike was the first person that I saw really mention the idea of Zach Wilson as a potential first rounder. And I believe that was back in September when he had only played a couple of games. And I just kind of want to ask Mike, you know, when you're the first person leading that charge, what was it that jumped out to you so initially about Zach Wilson early in the fall when I don't even think he was on anyone's radar as a round two pick at the time? It was just that arm and the way he slings it and from the body positions he can throw with is just, it's different. It's different from Trevor Lawrence. It's different from Justin Fields, Mac Jones, even the guys hyper-talented in this draft class. The way he's able to just manipulate that ball with just his upper half. Doesn't need his lower half to be set. Doesn't need to be flat-footed in the pocket, standing still. He can get the ball where it needs to go, down the football field. And I think that was the biggest thing to me. It's like, that's what everyone's looking for. People have said the Mahomes comp, and that's a little too high for me. But that the things that Mahomes does in that vein, everyone in the NFL wants nowadays. And so that's what he brings to the table, and that's why, like I said, I think he's pretty comfortably QB2 behind Trevor Lawrence. You mentioned Justin Fields, which is a perfect segue into our most debated prospect breakdowns. Renny, you brought us five names that you're seeing people on either side pretty passionately. I'm going to mention these guys. I want to know. Why are they being hotly debated, and which side are you on? Runner, let's start with Justin Fields. Why is there a debate, and which side are you on with Justin Fields? I can see why there's a debate and why you would be low on him. The Northwestern game this past year, not great. The Indiana game this past year, he showed issues in terms of being able to read the blitz, being able to get the ball out of his hands quickly, and being able to kind of operate within the timing of that offense. Now, you're talking about a guy, though, who has immense physical talent. 4440. I mean, he is the most, per our charting, accurate quarterback in this draft class. He was the third highest rated recruit by 247 Sports at the quarterback position in the 20 years that they've been doing this. Like, this guy is talent for days, right behind Trevor Lawrence in terms of the hype of him coming out. I, I think he's just being overthought because of those issues, those things easily correctable at the NFL level. And a lot of them have to do with Ohio State's offense and the downfield passing concepts that they run to where. I think it's a lot of smoke at the end of the day, and he still ends up going highly. What do you think, Connor? 
I'm right there with him. I, honestly, I think the problem for me is you can point out holes in Justin Fields' game you, like you can with every quarterback. We could sit here and do that with Trevor Lawrence as well. But when you talk about the physical talent and what we've already seen on the film, it just really puzzles me that someone like Mac Jones, who's not a bad player, but still can be drafted over a player like Justin Fields. We've gotten to the point where a lot of people are overthinking him. And for me, he's a lock as quarterback three. He's a lock as a top five quarterback prospect. He has all the physical ability and work ethic, as much as people like to say different things, but also the work ethic to develop into a franchise quarterback. So I'm very high on Justin Fields. And if he slid out of the top five picks of this draft, somebody made a huge mistake. ATL Sports Joe commenting, Fields is the best quarterback from this class, no doubt. If Atlanta were to pull the trigger at four, him being a Georgia native, and this is the transition piece, that would be quite interesting. We got an app comment for our next debated prospect. It comes in from Jason Tatum Fan Zero. Thoughts on Rashad Bateman? I've seen some scouting sites have him top 20, such as PFF, and others think he's a mid-round pick. So, Renner, I, I would assume you're the one that has him as a top 20 guy? Yes. Yes. And I can see why you would be low on him. He is not a toolsy sort of prospect. He's not a 4-3 guy. He's not super big, rocked up. He's not this ultra-twitchy wide receiver, uh, go-up-and-get-it sort of physical. <laughs> but you think about why guys fail at the wide receiver position in the NFL. It's because either they can't get off the line of scrimmage, they can't get in and out of their breaks as a route runner, and they can't deal with physical corners. We've seen Rashad Bateman do all of those things at a super high level at Minnesota and as a true sophomore back on the outside when he led college football in terms of yards per route. So those are the reasons why guys, they don't fail because they have middling physical tools. A lot of guys, Michael Thomas, DeAndre Hopkins came out and did not have incredible physical tools, but then dominate at the NFL level. I think that's a similar way I feel about Rashad Bateman. Yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you. When you look at Bateman, he's my number 14 overall prospect, and a lot of people don't think he's going to be drafted in the first round, but the floor is so high. I see a play style that is kind of a blend of a little bit of what Keenan Allen does best and a little bit the old school one Stevie Johnson did best, and he just wins off the line of scrimmage, a really good route runner, and he's fearless in traffic. He has no problem going across the middle of the field. He tracks the ball really well outside the hashes. With Bateman, it would just surprise me if on, you know, when he comes in, he's not at least an average target right away that can mold into a high volume, reliable target in the intermediate game. I like him a lot. Uh, he's a clear cut number four wide receiver for me. And, you know, I've said this to Mike. I said it on Mike's show in two for one drafts that I look at him and think he's closer to the Devontae Smith conversation, those top wide receivers conversation than he is to the back-end tier where you get into whether it's Rondell Mork, Darius Toney, Terrace Marshall, who I really, really like as well. I think Bateman has been very, very much overlooked. All right, let's go from quarterback and wide receiver to the offensive line. I have seen this in years past. Eric Flowers comes to mind. Offensive linemen that are just debated, and you don't know whether the technique or the talent is going to carry through. We're going to Stanford. They've had a lot of big guys over the years. Walker Litter, excuse me, Walker Little, Mike Renner. Uh, why is there a debate and where do you stand? The reason why there's a debate is obvious. He's played one game in the last two years, declined a senior bowl invite, opted out this past year because of COVID. That's a difficult evaluation when you really haven't seen the guy since 2018 when he was a true sophomore. But you go back and evaluate what he did as a true sophomore. And 
It was right up there with what Tristan Wirfs was doing, Andrew Thomas was doing, Mekhi Becton, the guys in that impeccable tackle draft class at the top there. Some people thought of him as offensive tackle one heading into that 2019 season. And as a recruit, he was right up there with them as well, has all the physical tools. And it's just, we never got to see the progression from him. But on the offensive line, it's, are you willing to put in the work? Do you have the sort of coordination and other things to get to that level? And I, from all accounts, whether it's David Shaw, other people who he's worked with, he has those things. We just never got to see that next step. And so that's why I, I'm pretty high on him because I think he has been putting in the work. His pro day was exceptional, and it showed he had definitely been putting in the work over those past year and a half not having played football. At that point, it's difficult for me to not keep him in that sort of similar conversation with, like I said, those guys we saw in the top 12, 15 picks last year in the tackle class. I mean, there's reasons to be scared, absolutely. When you look at him, the size is great, the athleticism is great, and Mike is right. You go back to 2018, there's some games, a lot of games, where he wasn't beat in pass pro. And, of course, he had his tough moments against teams like Notre Dame or Utah, whoever it may be, but he was a young player. So the traits were there, but it's hard for me to justify taking him in the top 50 or even the top 75 when he's played one game in the last two years. The anchor strength was never there. He got pushed back into the pocket a lot. But you do like this, the athleticism in the run game, the athleticism to be coached up in pass pro. You just can't teach that size and length and those feet at that size, which is something that we've really liked about the top tackles over the last two years. I just think it's a tough situation for him in a really, really good tackle class to come in for a team to say, hey, we're going to take this guy in the top 50 because their teams are going to want players that can play right away. And we just have no proof of that right now with Walker Little. It almost feels like he might need a redshirt year. So it's one of those, hey, the traits are all there. We can draft and stash him. But how high are you willing to do that? I couldn't do it in the first two rounds with him. Part of the reason why I love this crash course is I am learning about all these guys. To be very honest with you for the first time, I've been in NBAville for the last few months. So Renner, I see this name, Jamar Johnson, a safety from Indiana. I know nothing. Paint me the picture of this prospect and why he's being debated. He's being debated for another guy who's not played a ton of football. He was Indiana slot cornerback as a true sophomore in 2019, moved to safety this past year, but obviously the Big Ten didn't play a full schedule, didn't get to see a ton of them, but he continually made plays on the football in coverage that you don't really necessarily expect a safety to make the two picks against Justin Fields in that Ohio State game. And you've seen it from a number of different alignments is the biggest thing for me. That is what you want at the NFL level. The guy who can go drop down and play in the slot, play deep middle safety, play too high, whatever you want. You saw him already make plays on the football end. And you can't say that a lot about, about a lot of safety prospects in this class. And so that coverage versatility, despite it only being on, like I said, about a season and a half's worth of games, to me, is exceptional, and that's why he's a top five safety on the PFF board. Yeah, I'm with you all the way. When you look at him, and he was a late find for me, somebody that I turned on the film later in the process and went, wow. The, you know, he only got on the field mostly because of injuries and the role that he did rather than being a, a role player, a full-time player. Now, in coverage, the range is tremendous, and it is sideline to sideline. You can ask him to play single high. Like you said, he could sit in a cover two shell. He could play in the slot. He's a little bit of a lunger as a tackler. So that's what question teams are going to have in terms of that last line of defense. But in a league that needs matchup players that have a ton of different range and coverage skills, he fits the bill. He looks like a round two pick to me all the way with those ball skills. I mean, coming away with multiple interceptions against Justin Fields is probably what, you know, 
shine the light on him as this kind of prospect. And there's so much to be excited about with the level of athlete he is and the coverage instincts he has. Uh, he can be an impact player from day one on the back end for a team. Love this question here from Larry Hodges. Do you create your own opinions on the players or do they tell you what to say? What I love about this question, Larry, is I don't know who the they is. This is one of my favorite things about draft process is that they believe that there's this draft establishment that tells human beings what to think. And I'm just going to speak for Connor and Mike right now. All they have is their opinions and their research and all of the work that they do. And if they start taking the opinions of other people, they're less valuable. So, Larry, it's an interesting question. I'm just telling you, there's no they. Like Connor and Renner are carrying the show right now because nobody knows half of what these dudes know. I almost cursed, but I'm not going to curse. Last name that Renner brought us was Jason, and I think it's Away, the Penn State edge rusher that Connor that Connor introduced me to last week that is a physical specimen. Renner, what is the debate on this guy, and where do you stand? Yeah, physical specimen is an understatement. He had the single pro I think I've ever seen in terms of just all-around numbers for a defensive end prospect, ran a sub 4-4, had an 11-foot-2 broad jump. The guy is explosiveness personified, but he didn't have a sack last year. Why didn't he have a sack last year? It's, it's kind of why everyone's all over the map on this guy. He is not a polished product by any means. He only started playing football in 2016. The guy is new to the game, was a basketball player before that. But the length, the size, the explosiveness, the cornering ability, it's all there. All there as much as you know it was there for Miles Garrett. It's just the polish is not there. And like I said, with him being so new to the game, I'll take that chance. It might not happen year one, might not happen year two. But your high end, what you could get is Miles Garrett. It could be that top five guy in the NFL because that's not the case with every edge defender in this draft class or every edge defender that comes out. Yeah, I mean, the athletic profile is unlike really anything we've seen before across the board. Even the three cone, around a six eight four three cone. I mean, for a player like this at his size to move the way he does, it's just special. And what I like about him, while you develop the pass rush plan with him, because it's very, very raw, like Renner said, uh, he's somebody out of New Jersey that really started playing football late in high school. Uh, he's a hustle run defender, whether it's from the backside, whether it's setting the edge on his side. Uh, he really does understand how to hustle against the run. So you like the floor there. Now, I couldn't, I don't think I could take him in round one. It's a tough sell for me. He really is a ball of clay that you're going to need coaches to develop him over time. And you're going to have to be patient with him. And a lot of round one pass rushers are thrown on the field and they're asked, hey, can you be this eight sack guy right away for us? I don't think Oway is going to be that as a rookie, but in year two or three, and a lot of people said these things about Daniil Hunter, a player that I was low on at the time, and look how he turned out. I mean, one of the best pass rushers went healthy in the league. So Oway is a top 40 prospect for me. I could see him sneaking into round one because that athleticism is just off the charts. There were five and a half sacks the year before that, so there are times he does finish. But I think the question is, uh, can you get him to be not just an average pass rusher right now that's an athlete, but an actual polished one that can be that 8-10 to 10 sack guy down the stretch? Undoubtedly, it will be enticing to coaches that go, oh, I'll be the one to get the most out of him. But the problem is, is we probably have less qualified coaches to develop players than we do have players that need to be developed. If you want to be honest about the NFL right now, the Vikings were the perfect place for Daniil Hunter, and he has exploded. Uh, we see this all the time where there is a debated prospect. Usually it's because of an athletic profile that there's a little bit of a reach. And J84 wants to know, 
Who is going to be the John Ross, the Darius Hayward Bay? Who is the most debated prospect who will be the biggest reach on draft night? And if we can, I'd like to stay to night one, that first round. Renner, who do you think is going to be that big reach in the first round? That one's tough because I do think in the top 10 or so picks, there are, I am a fan of a lot of those guys who will probably end up going there. I think there's a, a clear tier of blue chip guys. But I think one guy who could sneak into the first round that just to me would be a reach would be Jamin Davis, the Kentucky linebacker. 4-3-7 at his pro day, freaky athletic skills, but you've really seen no sort of playmaking ability and coverage. Their spot drop zoning at Kentucky. Like he is a raw linebacker and is already a redshirt junior coming out, only one year as a starter. Shouldn't necessarily be that raw after four years in college. So if you're drafting that guy in the first round, you might be getting an okay run defender. I'm just not sure that speed and elite athleticism is going to be your coverage backer right out the gate. Renner, what would your reaction be if Gregory Rousseau ends up going round one? That would be a reach to me. I would be on board with that. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be really interesting to see how the tape versus the athletic profile and not playing this year lines up. That's the one I have my eyes on. And of course, we'll get a lot of different reactions to Mac Jones no matter what. Oh. Uh, the the memes that are going to be made for Mac Jones when he goes three, I know that Connor. I don't. I still think Connor's holding out a shred of doubt that that's going to happen. Uh, Mike, I want to get uh, just some PFF questions, and Connor, if you have any before we send them off, please jump in. What are people missing that you've been able to detect with analytics, Mike, over these last few years that you have found very valuable? Ooh, that's a good question. I, I think one of the biggest things is actual performance uh along the offensive and defensive lines like that yes it's the traits and tools matter but also it's got to be a combination of the two you have to basically like you have to have a floor at those positions you can't just take completely raw clay and that's kind of why i say i'm still a fan of always because he's still graded out well as a pass rusher despite those sacks so the guys, you really can't take a guy who's completely inept, completely unable to rush the passer or do anything at the college level along the offensive-defensive line where it's still kind of a skill position and turn them into quality NFL players. We just haven't seen it uh, over our seven years of grading. The other question I had for Mike was, who is the best example of a player that analytics showed you that the draft community was absolutely sleeping on. Is there one that jumps to your mind right away? Yeah, I think Trey Flowers is the guy who his performance and the way he played the position of defensive end at Arkansas coming out back in 2015 was elite, was as good as it gets in college football. And yeah, he didn't have the physical profile again that teams are looking for. But when you are that dominant a player, where at a position where it's a skill position and you go one-on-one -on -one a lot on along the defensive line, the offensive line, when you can beat a guy, sometimes it's not always about the physical tool. Some guys just have that high level of skill. So skill is still a thing that is very important and is something that not everybody can necessarily develop to that same high end. I go back to kind of the cross sport example. You'll like this one left go about Stephen Curry. Stephen Curry was shooting the way he did when he was in sixth grade. You can't teach a guy to shoot like Stephen Curry. You can get them up a little bit, but you're not going to be able to get to that super high end in the skill perspective. Not everyone can. I got one last app comment question for you, Renner. Uh, this one comes from Tropics Hawaii. Who is a player on your board that is way higher slash lower compared to your colleagues? So 
this always happens every draft. There's one or two players that you get defined by with your analysis. Who is that for you this season? I think the one we're highest on is Christian Barmore, the Alabama defensive tackle. Everyone's saying it's a weak tackle class, and I do think it is, but he's a top 15 player on the PFF draft board. I, I think he's just as good as Derek Brown and Javon Kinlaw were last year as prospects, and he's actually a year younger. He's coming out as a redshirt sophomore, and those guys were seniors coming out. So I'd say he's the one we're the highest on. If you just flip on the playoff, he was the single most impactful player you know, outside of Devontae Smith in those games. So I'd say he's the one we're highest on. The one we're probably lowest on compared to the rest of the draft community is maybe Jalen Mayfield, the Michigan offensive tackle. And it comes back to that level of performance. He was just getting beaten in pass protection a lot at the college level. And yeah, there is some development. A guy is young, but when you're not even meeting that basic threshold of skill at the college level, I, I don't see that necessarily changing to him ever being this high level pass protector in the NFL. Mike, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate you here getting me ready for the NFL draft. You can check him out. As always, PFF does a great job. Mike, thanks so much for joining us, man. For sure, fellas. Thanks for having me on. Have a good one. All right, Connor, I got some questions and some comments in here before we get uh, to your most debated prospect breakdowns, the ones that you provided for us. Uh, first of all, JJA326 uh, in talking about Mac Jones, says he's not going three, dude. Shut the f up, uh, JJA. <laughs> I'll make that bet with you. It's not one that you want. It's not one that you think. Um, but I'll make that bet with you. I'll put a nice, nice cold twenty dollars on there. That if it doesn't happen, you can find me. I'm not going to find you, uh, but you can find me if that doesn't happen. The other one that I was going to read here, Connor, was Evan O'Brien, who wrote, Lefko isn't an expert on anything. To that I say, it's not what your mama said. All right, let's get back to the show. Most debated prospect breakdowns. I'm not an expert. Literally, the premise of this show, Evan O'Brien, is that I'm asking Connor and people to teach me things so that you can learn through osmosis. But thanks for the hate in the comment section. It's going to fuel me to become better and bigger than ever before. Connor Rogers, you mentioned Gregory Rousseau, Miami Edge. Why is there a debate about this guy? What side are you on, and where would you like to see him end up? So I think I'm a little lower, Lefko. I think the NFL probably looks at him as this top 40 prospect, a dominant sophomore year on tape. He's almost six foot seven, 266 pounds. I compared him to Carlos Dunlap, so you see that length along the edge and just huge hands, 11-inch hands, 34 and three-quarter arms. I mean, he's, he's a giant pass rusher with great length, but just not an explosive player. And you could see that 30-inch vertical should not surprise anyone there. When you talk about the get-off-the-snap, it's just not good enough. It's not where it needs to be right now, but he can win with the length so much right now with swim move or whether a rip move where he's still a productive player. But I just don't think he's the level of athlete on top of being a question of where are you going to play him? Because a lot of his best wins in that great year for Miami, he was lined up inside, whether it was shade nose or three tech. So is he a true edge player at the next level? I have no problem t a team taking him in the second round. I think the Colts, they're picking at 54 in the second round would be a really nice landing spot. They've taken their swings for pass rushers over the year. I think when you look at him and DeForest Buckner over there, you're talking about two players that would just give a lot of problems in terms of the kind of the length that they have as pass rushers. And then you're not expecting him. It goes back to my argument with Jason Oway. 
you're not putting him on the field as a first rounder and saying you better get home for us or else our cover our corners and safeties are in big big trouble there's just too much pressure on him he didn't get to play this year he's a really hard worker everybody loves his high character and those raw traits but just a limited athlete that is a little raw at the moment right now. And that would be really, really tough sell in the first round. Connor Garrett Greenlee comments, Rousseau is Marcus Davenport 2.0. Thoughts? I mean, yeah, that's not crazy at all. When you look at it, you're talking about another player that won with length. Now, Davenport did it at lower level competition while Rousseau, I mean, he beat up on a really bad FSU offensive line that you could see here, and he, he really whooped up on Duke as well. So I think when you look at it, everybody knew Davenport was a reach for what they paid to go up and get him in that draft, especially in the first round. I thought he that year was a nice day two developmental pass rusher, and that's exactly what Rousseau is as well. So I actually like that as a situation comparison as well by Garrett. All right, next name that you gave to us was another edge rusher out of a team that you just saw Rousseau tatten up, Duke. Chris Rumpf II. Break it down for me. Yeah, an exciting player and a totally different player. A smaller pass rusher. He's going to come in around 235 pounds. Uh, really explosive off the edge, which, you know, Rousseau was not. But Rousseau has much better size than this guy. So, Rump is going to be a situational player, Lefko, and even Duke rotated him, if you're wondering how they viewed him. So I like him as a stand-up situational pass rusher with a really, really good get-off and a good outside speed rush. And I think for round three, the end of round three for the Buffalo Bills, they're a team that can use a little bit more juice off of the edge. And they've done a nice job drafting over these years. Once again, he's not going to be this player that you need to be a three-down guy. But the Bills on those third and longs, you know they're probably going to run into a guy named Patrick Mahomes again in big games. They need to stack that front four or whatever they want to do, even if they want to do a front five, uh, to get home. They need guys that could just pin their ears back and go. And right now, that's what Rump is. Yeah, they tried to get A.J. Epinesa last year. He was more of an all-around and didn't really give them that third down pressure that they were maybe hoping for. I saw people asking for this guy to be talked about. And what do you know? Connor's bringing him up. Oklahoma State running back Chuba Hubbard. All-time name. What kind of a player is he, Connor? Why is there a debate? A really good one. And it's a shame that he's getting no love in this track. You know, he had a phenomenal 2019 season and then he was hurt in 2020. He's a very, very explosive runner and he's got that track speed. He's got really good bursts to get to the outside. He can make you miss. He's got some work to do in pass protection and he's just an okay pass catcher at the moment. But as a pure runner, especially in an outside zone scheme, uh, he's a home run threat, left go. He really is. He's got good long speed. I don't care what the 40 is. I know it wasn't in the four threes, but it was sub four five. He's got a good upright, strong muscled up build. I think the 49ers in round four, this would be a steal. Ooh. And I know they have Raheem Mostert. I know they have Jeff Wilson, but they love having that big stable of backs that can be the future. And Chuba Hubbard, for me, is my running back five in this draft. And I see people leaving him out of the top tens of running backs. So I think they're focusing on being prisoners of the moment, right? They're not realizing how good he was in 2019 when he was healthy, which is really important at the running back position. If he had declared after that year, I think he easily goes in the second round. So the fact that he's probably coming off the board in the fourth round this year, that would be a steal and a perfect scheme fit for the 49ers. 
Okay, so if that's going to be their perfect fit in the fourth round, can I get the 49ers dream draft uh, one, two, three, and four? How would it go? Well, we know about the big trade up to number three, and everybody is sitting here going, Mac Jones this, Mac Jones that. I'm still riding out hope, and this is my dream draft, not anyone else's. So I'm taking Trey Lance third overall. I think he's a much better fit. I think the upside is ginormous. It's way bigger than what Mac Jones will give you. And now it brings a running element to Kyle Shanahan's offense. So Trey Lance, third overall. If you really believe coming out of the FCS, he needs to sit. You got Jimmy G there. That's okay. Round two, Ifiatu, Melifon, Wu. Uh, really that perfect cover three kind of corner. He reminds me of a little bit more athletic version of Akello Witherspoon, who they just lost in free agency. So now you replace him with Melifon, Wu. Incredible click and close. Coming downhill, I, once again, I like his size and speed combination and ability to stay in the hip pocket or receivers and play the ball. So round three, for me, this is their compensatory selection. So this is a very late pick. This would be Jalen Darden here, the wide receiver out of North Texas. And you talk about speed in this offense. We know what they have at outside receivers so far. They lost Kendrick Bourne in free agency. Darden is somebody that just constantly gets open. I think he'd be perfect for the slot with them. You can get him involved on jet sweeps if you want, but he's just always open. He can track the deep ball. Now you've added speed at the skill spots with Jalen Darden and Chuba Hubbard. You've plugged a serious hole right now at corner, and then you have your quarterback, franchise superstar quarterback of the future in Trey Lance. If this doesn't excite you as a 49ers fan, I'm sorry, but I think this would be the dream draft scenario for them. Talking about Chuba there, A. Murray 24 asked, when did running a 4-4 become slow? I don't remember what Great NFL point. player it was, but they just put it out. Everybody's running in the 4-3s right now. So yes, 4-4s, 4-5s are fast, but in a year where it's seemingly all pro day, no laser, it sure seems like there's a whole lot of 4-2s and 4-3s. This is going to go down as like the fastest class ever because of all, am I, am I crazy here, Connor, or am I kind of accurate? No, you and that comment are preaching to the choir. And there's this little thing called game tape speed left go. If you turn it on from 2019, Shuba Hubbard has a ton of big breakaway runs. And that is going to translate at the next level. And like I said, there's also a lot of different times out there. When he initially ran, people said it was 4-3-6. Right. And it gets posted at 4-4-6. There's no consistent process here in place, in my opinion, with a lot of different scouts' times. But I've watched Shuba Hubbard play football. He's fast. Mm. All right, the, the fourth name that you brought to us, an offensive lineman from Tennessee, Trey Smith. What's the debate here? The debate is a couple of different things. And number one, he's just a powerhouse, right? He's an incredible drive blocker. If he gets you in a phone booth, he gets his hands on you. You're going into the stands. That's where you're going. Now, what people have questions is that overall movement ability and pass protection I really don't have that. When he was a freshman left go, he started some games at left tackle. So I think when you look at it, the number one question teams have, because this was a problem for him in college, was the blood clot issue that sidelined him one season. Now, if that's behind him and you believe he can stay healthy, he's a mauler. He fits everything that Joe Judge would want on his team, the identity of his football team. So Trey Smith is just a looking for work right there. He's a powerhouse. He loves to play the game. He loves to bury people. When you watch Tennessee versus Alabama, uh, he's somebody that shows up and drives people backwards. So it's not even a level of competition thing. He beats up on everyone. I, I think Trey Smith would just be this perfect round three pick for the New York Giants that they still have some questions on the offensive line. We're going to see in his last year on his contract what Will Hernandez does. 
Shane Lemieux, I know they have, they're hoping for, but they like competition there. So round three for Trey Smith, the Giants, I think he'd be their answer at guard and really get that run game going with Saquon Barkley. Yeah, losing Kevin Zeitler was a big loss for the Giants, so they're going to have to plug somebody in there. Let's play the dream draft game one more time. If Trey Smith is your third-round dream pick for the Giants, what's one and two? So we got some help on the offensive line in round three, a guy that I think is a plug-and-play starter at a high level. Let's go round one, Devontae Smith. I think he's the receiver out of Chase and Waddle, and obviously Kyle Pitts is a tight end, but more of a pass-catching weapon. I think Smith is the guy that might see a tumble. Now, 11's not a bad tumble. I know the Giants have other needs here, but give Daniel Jones a shot. Now you have Devontae Smith, you have Kenny Galladay, you have Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, Saquon Barkley in the backfield. The offensive line hopefully can play at a higher level. I know it's a laughable Pro Bowl, but Evan Ingram did make the Pro Bowl. I'm not crazy about him, but a plethora of pass-catching options here for Daniel Jones. And Devontae Smith, no one is more pro-ready than him. Round two, they need edge help. They need it badly. And Joe Tryon did not play this year. But from what I saw for a young starter in 2019, he is a powerful guy on the edge. Powerful hands, can convert speed to power to push tackles back into the pocket. Sets the edge very, very well. They're a team that Joe Judge is not going to want anyone running on them. Uh, Tryon next to Leonard Williams gives them a lot of strength up front. So for the Giants... You get a little bit of everything there. You feel much better about your offense and helping out your young quarterback, but you got to get somebody on the outside that can rush the passer as well. All right, so that is your dream draft for the New York football Giants. We are getting ready for rapid-fire questions. I want to be selfish really quick. I just want to name, Connor, who are you mocking to my Eagles at 12 right now? Just for my own brain. I think it's probably going to be one of the corners if a receiver doesn't fall. And when I had this conversation with you and Tannenbaum, I said, hey, if one of Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddell, Kyle Pitts, or Devontae Smith falls, that's who the Eagles take, right? You're going to go back to that wide receiver well again this year. But you have to prepare if that doesn't happen. And I still think they can use a corner. They can capitalize on this class. We'll see who falls out of Sertain or J.C. Horn. I know a lot of Eagles fans, and I get it, are talking about Micah Parsons. I don't think you need to take linebacker there that early. He's a really good player, an effective player, a great athlete. He could do a little bit of everything. But for the Eagles, I'd like to take one of those top corners if a pass catcher isn't there. Thank you for doing that. That helped my brain. Now I know what to focus on. Uh, We read a comment from Garrett Greenlee earlier. Well, guess what, Garrett? Your video comment is being played now, which means a hoodie is coming your way. Let's hear what Garrett had to ask. Hey guys, with the edge and the linebackers, I've had a fit in my head for a couple weeks now, and I absolutely love Jeremiah Owosu Koromoa to the Raiders, and him, you know, being, I don't want to say the Travis Kelsey uh, eliminator, but him at least being able to try and limit him over the next couple of years, I really love that, and the Raiders are going to have to, you know, limit Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes over the next decade, and I just want to know your thoughts on a location fit there, whether you like it, hate it, or if that's even a possibility they have in the first round. Thanks. Love the show. I mean, I love it. It's a good call. Now, I think my biggest question is, is they've had a lot of movement on the offensive line this offseason, Lefko. Are, are they going to be looking to capitalize on a really good class? Where are they picking in the top 20 picks there before you get a run, right? I mean, you look at it, the board is going to move quickly in the back end of this first round. The Raiders are sitting there at 17. You got Washington at 19, the Bears at 20, the Colts at 21, the Titans at 22, the Jets at 23, the Steelers at 24. 
all of those teams could take offensive linemen. So the Raiders are going to have to sit there and have a tough question and go, do we take someone like Tevin Jenkins right now before we watch all the players we like come off the board a couple picks after us? But in terms of the player and the fit, I mean, it's great. He's a do-it-all player. He play, He's a linebacker that covered out in the slot and had no problem doing it. So the range is phenomenal, sideline to sideline, running the seam. You talk about the tight ends in that division. You look at the running backs in that division, the big wide receivers in the red zone. I really, really like the fit. And this is a unpredictable drafting team, the Raiders. So you have to keep all scenarios on your mind. It's not crazy at all. Uh, that's just a little note for everybody. If you submit videos in the NFL draft community and we play it, you are getting a hoodie. Garrett, congrats on making the big show. All right, rapid fire question. Jonathan Heath, who will the Washington football team pick in the first round? Connor, what are you thinking? Well, I talked about 19. offensive line earlier, right? When you look at it, they're at 19. They could use another offensive tackle. They could use a linebacker. I know they need a slot corner. They'll worry about that later. I think it has to be this offensive line class, right? You saw enough from your young running back last year in Antonio Gibson. I don't think you take a round one running back here. So we know Sewell and Slater are going to be gone. I like Christian Derisaw here, Lefko. I think his tape was phenomenal. I think he warrants being a top 15 pick, although everything I'm hearing is that he will not go in the top 15. So that's a little bit of a, a bonus for Washington sitting there. They get a plug-and-play tackle that fits the demeanor of the team because he's a bully in the run game. He dramatically improved over as a three-year starter in pass protection where he was lights out this year. So Derisaw would be my dream pick if he can make it to that spot. All right, Azora High ATL. I just saw this morning Jerry Jones is apparently obsessed with Kyle Pitts, but the question is how high should Pitts go, not how high Will he go? Is he really a once-in-a-generation prospect, Connor? I mean, you're talking to somebody that thinks he shouldn't be the top skill guy drafted in the draft, and I love him. He's a great tight end. Compared him to Darren Waller, he's a red zone weapon. Uh, he has the largest wingspan ever recorded for a tight end, so that's different. The speed is really, really good. But Lefko, Jamar Chase is one of the best wide receivers I've ever evaluated. Jamar Chase should be the top pass catcher taken. You could sell me, because of his speed, that Jalen Waddell would be a more impactful player than Kyle Pitts. I know a lot of people won't agree with this, and I understand, and they'll probably bring about a lot of hateful comments because they've been sold that Kyle Pitts is unlike anything we've ever seen before. But if you're saying that, that means you think he's going to be either Rob Gronkowski or Travis Kelsey. That's really, really lofty, and maybe he will be, depending on his landing spot. But I, Kyle Pitts, to me, is a top 12 pick, not a top 5 pick. And I know that might seem nitpicking, but those are huge decisions when you're talking about the top 5 of the draft versus the top 12 to 15 of the draft. Especially because Gronk and Travis Kelsey are phenomenal blockers, and from one of our past shows, Kyle Pitts is just not there yet. Uh, next app question, at 24, should the Steelers take the best running back or offensive lineman available, or should they trade up from Rip Speedy? They should take the offensive lineman, that the best one available. Now the question is, I just raised the point of all the teams picking ahead of you, do you have to move up? It's not something that you necessarily want to do. It's something you might have to do. Now, it wouldn't shock me if they take a Najee Harris. Not at all. With the identity and how they make up their football teams, I'm not going to take a running back in round one if I'm the Steelers. i got to keep Big Ben upright. 
Uh, the core of your run game has to be built on the offensive line. There's enough talented running backs you can get in rounds two, three, or four, whatever it may be. So I look at it and just wonder who's going to fall. If things don't go my way, Christian Derrissaw is already gone. How about Tevin Jenkins? How about Alex Leatherwood, Liam Eikenberg? Uh, those are players that I can get behind. Elijah Vera Tucker is my top guard, although some people do think he can play tackle. So that's another name as well. But those guys could not make it to 24 if we get the offensive line run we think we're in for. All right, app question here from RIP Mello. What round is Asante Samuel Jr. going in, Connor? I'm going to say the top of round two. Now, you can make the argument that he has some round one ability. We just don't see corners that size uh, aren't locks necessarily for round one. Now, he's a really good athlete. He's a feisty man coverage corner, which has to be valued in today's game. Five foot 10, 180 pounds, 441 speed. Now, the twitchiness, 6983 cone, uh, his lateral ability and the ability to come downhill, to stop on a dime and come downhill and play the football. I really like it. I'm just answering the question, though, of what I think will happen. I think he's more in the top 45 picks than the top 32. All right, we got two more questions. Connor, who is the better running back coming out of North Carolina from Chris J? Yeah, it's Javante Williams, but it's not an easy question to answer because Michael Carter absolutely is a – you could justify he should be a top 100 pick. No brainer. Uh, incredible agility. They're totally different players. Javante Williams, to me, reminds me of Chris Carson, who people look at that comparison. They go, that's not really impressive. I mean, Chris Carson is one of the better runners in the NFL the last couple of years. So I think when I look at it, uh, Michael Carter gives you more agility. He gives you more burst. Maybe a now Javante Williams, I can't even say make more make you miss. Javante Williams forced the most missed tackles out of any running back in this class. So people will like him in pass pro as well. And that's a big differentiating factor in all of this. But the point is, two running backs come out of the same program in the same year as top 100 selections is really impressive. All right. I'm almost dying, Connor. So we have one last question. Power. Power through. Up. Power through. It is. Guys, huge fan of your show. Especially love go from your days with Chris. Who do you think is the best quarterback fit for the Patriots if they trade up? Patriots currently sitting at pick number 15 from Go Subban 12. Go, thank you, bro. Connor, what do you think? If they were to trade up into that top eight? Yeah, I think it would be Trey Lance, and if not him, then Justin Fields. I think they could use a mobile quarterback that's a big-bodied player that can sit behind Cam Newton, execute similar concepts, push the ball down the field. Now, Justin Fields' accuracy would just be tremendous for that offense that is going to be using the middle of the field a ton with the two tight ends, Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry, two guys they just gave a ton of money. So you like that sure. with Fields. Now, my question here is, do they get the choice? Because one, two, three are going to be quarterbacks, and then somebody might trade with Atlanta, maybe it is New England, that they are going to take a quarterback at four as well, assuming Atlanta doesn't sit there and just take one themselves, which I would do that if I was Atlanta. I don't think they do. So New England, I think you're in good hands because I think one of those guys will fall if you move up enough. And I think they'd both be stars in that offense. They're afforded the opportunity to sit. We know how well coached that offensive line is. Uh, they've made a significant effort to upgrade the pass catching situation there, which would help any young quarterback. And I think having Cam Newton there is a really, really good mentor for any of these guys in this quarterback class. The Breadman 10 asked, Connor and Lefko, you guys would be a good tag team in WWE. What would be your team name? 
look at Connor's hair, it would be hustle and flow. That's I will. It's perfect. It's be. perfect. Um, and also, I just want to say really quick to Jay Ja, you think that Mac Jones isn't going three? Let me tell you something. He's going three, and you're going to owe me twenty dollars. Let me put this back up here. Hold on. He might not let go. He might not. Really? He might not. Right. I don't know. I I have this weird theory that uh, Kyle Shanahan has bamboozled the insider community. Bamboozled Chris Sims. I love that. That would make me happy. <laughs> that, I would, that would I, be you know great. I'm going to be happy either way. Uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us on the BR app, Gridiron Twitter, BR YouTube. We do this every Thursday at 1 o'clock. I just tap into Connor's brain, and I get all of the information that I can. Big shout-out to Mike Renner from PMF, PFF for joining us today. Next week, sleepers and hidden gems. Give you guys some names and some nuggets so you can go to your friends and sound really smart when someone gets picked a little bit earlier than everybody thought about. Submit your questions, as I mentioned before, in the NFL draft community. If it's a good video, we will play it, and you'll get a hoodie. And draft weekend. What is going on with that, Connor? What's draft weekend shows? I mean, draft weekend is going to be bananas. Uh, we're going to be oh, live that's our for draft weekend three- shows. Yeah. Yes. Yes. All three days live. Um, they are going to be big time shows. Left go. This, this might be the last week. We can't talk about who is on the desk with us. And there's going to be more than just the person that's on the desk with us that's a part of the show. So if you watch next week, uh, I'm just, everyone's going to be mind blown when we announce our, our draft analyst team. Team this year. Team. Team. It's all about the team. Like the Avengers of the NFL draft. I love that. I'll be the Doctor Strange just opening portals. Uh, Connor, you killed it as always. Mike Renner, great. All of our production team that made this possible. You are awesome. To everybody watching in the app, appreciate y'all. Have a great day. And we'll see you guys next week, 1 o'clock Eastern. See ya. Today, oh, I don't know, two-time Super Bowl winner, greatest quarterback in Giants history, and now a proud creator of a non-fungible token. Oh, yes. All of that goes under the byline of Eli Manning. Eli, first of all, how great is it to talk to me today? Does it feel that good? Adam, it's, it's an honor. I've been waiting, waiting a long time for this moment. And, and uh, so I'm fired up and uh, looking forward to this uh, interview. See what, see what questions you have for me. What, you know, what well, you can stump me with. First, I want to apologize. I was the guy in the clubhouse recently that said that you look like you had a terrorist photo. That was me. I apologize. <laughs> No, I, uh, you know, I was thinking about changing it, but now I'm not just, you know, I'm, you know, comments out there now, you know, I got to keep it. I can't let you know that you forced me to change my, my photo. I love the fact that there are some athletes that when their career is over, they use their curiosity to find this second life. And listening to you in that clubhouse, seeing with what you're getting involved with this Manning legacy collection I feel like you fit that bill. So I'm just curious overall, do you feel like you're in like the beginning stages of this second world? What have you been up to since retirement with all of this stuff? Yeah, I definitely feel like I'm in, in the beginning stages and, and really just trying to explore uh, a world out there that, uh, you know, I just never, um, you know, had the time to pursue and, and just to see, what interests me and, and, you know, what I want to get involved in, how do I want to spend my time? What do I 
you know, want to just dive right in. And, 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 you know, the way that I treated football and the preparation, the work, I'm kind of looking for uh, that next chapter and, and different uh, aspects of things that I can dive in the way that I treated football. And so I didn't want to assume I, I knew that answer and, and take the time to kind of just feel different things. And I kind of feel like you're a kid. I played lots of sports. I played baseball. I played basketball. I played soccer at some point. You know, I swam. I did gymnastics. You know, you kind of throw – throw into all the sports and see if one sticks. So that's what I'm doing right now, um, you know, in, in the sports world and outside the sports world. So I'm, I'm curious, outside of the sports world, we're going to get to NFTs in a second, but you talked a little bit when I heard you on that clubhouse about, you know, this financial literacy, this understanding, this, this, hey, I played for a really long time and I let people handle that side of my life, but now I want to be involved. So what has it been like to dive into that? You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, humbling in a sense where you, you kind of feel like I'm, I'm starting from square one. And, and, um, you know, I, I, you know, need to ask lots of questions, but just, you know, kind of like a kid in school that's embarrassed to ask the question because they don't want people to know how, you know, or how sure. little he really knows. I'm, I'm kind of at that point. So I, I have kind of my, uh, my group of people who I really trust that I know. Um, you know, they may make fun of me behind my back, but, you know, but they're still close enough or they won't do it to my face or snicker at me. So I can still ask them the questions and, and try to understand. But a lot of it's just writing, writing down notes, um, you know, hear what people are saying. And afterwards kind of going back and studying and trying to get a better feel for exactly what's going on. Um, and so just, you know, kind of understand that, uh, I don't know everything. I, I'm very much at the beginning stages of this, but um, you know, finding things that I, I want to learn more about. NFTs are one of them. Uh, we've experienced this boom in alternative assets, especially in terms of cryptocurrency and things that belong on blockchains. And so NFTs, non-fungible tokens, we've talked about it a bunch on this show, whether it's Top Shot or Gronk had some that I know he did, I believe, with Maker's Place as well. And my buddy old Patrick Mahomes just did one recently. From a non, I don't need you to explain it to me because I'm. I, that's a really tough thing to do. I'm more curious you're someone that makes their time available. And in terms of interacting with fans and in terms of creating something that allows you to connect with people, why did this stick out to you and Peyton? You know, I think, um, you know, as I got done playing football, I, I wanted a, a way to reflect on my career. And I think to be able to create uh, something that's truly unique um, and do a, a piece of art or do a collectible of some sort and, uh, you know, that, that was interesting. Something that was, you know, uh, I got to talk with the artist about and kind of tell my history of, of playing football and for him to uh, be able to create something to share with fans, to share with people and to something that, you know, can be collected and hopefully grows in value over time. And so I just thought it, that was something uh, that could be very cool, very personable. And to do it with, you know, I'm doing some with Peyton. I'm doing, we have one with my dad. We're doing some that are for charity, uh, for Tackle Kids Cancer, which has you know, been uh, dear to me for the Peyton Manning Children's uh, Hospital that obviously Peyton works with. So I think to be able to you know, bring something that's uh, personal and unique and reflects uh, on our career in football uh, is really neat. So you have a launch on Wednesday, the 14th of April. You have a launch on Friday, the 16th just the 16th, of April. I think. Just uh, the 16th, Friday is, is gotcha. going to be the launch. I'm seeing a portrait of you. 
I am seeing the first game that you guys faced off against each other. I'm seeing a Super Bowl helmet catch. And for Peyton, the Omaha saying, uh, I'm more curious from the creator. Like they said, hey, Eli, we want to pick your, your favorite moments of your career. You've had a lot. How did you narrow it down to the ones that you wanted to turn into an NFT? Yeah, I mean, I think that was, uh, that was a hard thing to decide on. And, you know, some of these pieces will... Uh, reflect that and some are going to be true artworks by an artist jk5 from you know brooklyn and 30 years in the business this will be his first nft that he's mm. producing and then some more animated um you know pieces of, of you know collectibles and art through uh micah johnson and his team who's kind of been in this nft world before and so um you know some uh are obviously the, the artwork that are just uh, you know, shared, you know, between Peyton and I, and some are individuals, uh, one's got my dad in there. And then, you know, some of the other um, kind of animated things are, are more lighthearted, uh, feel good moments and, and truly just important moments uh, in, in our career. And I think uh, kind of that helmet catch, uh, I mean, I think that pr- kind of sums it up and, and uh, you know, Super Bowl and, um, you know, my first one and beating the Patriots, everything that went around that catch is so memorable to so many people i think it was an easy a pretty easy one to pick that you know it would resonate in a lot of people's minds i've always thought this i thought the helmet catch was your best effort but i thought the mario manningham pass was your best throw i, I would i would agree with that i would i would you know 100 agree with that and and uh you know that first super bowl is you know still uh, you know somewhat of a young quarterback in my fourth year and and that whole drive i think was uh, there was a lot of ups and downs and, you know, could have had a couple intercepted, almost fumbled, yeah. you know, almost, you know, uh, you know, got sacked. It wasn't, it wasn't like a, a picture perfect two minute drive where that next one, uh, four years later, you know, starts off with, with the Manningham on the first play, just, a, you know, a great, you know, throw catch It was a feet on the sideline, taking a hit. And then, but even after that, you know, we, you know, they checked the cover two, we ran the ball. They came out, Full, you know, blitz zero. We threw, you know, screens. It was just more. Mm. Hey, that's how a drive's supposed to be on a two-minute on a two-minute drive to go win a football game. And so, uh, you know, both both of them uh, were were tough. But I think that helmet catch you know, resonates in a lot of people's minds. And whether you're, you know, a Giants fan, whether you're just a football fan, and uh, you know, it's it's up there one of the great all-time plays in, in NFL history. I'm actually curious. Do you still like? And David Tyree ever text around Super Bowl time? Like, do, do you ever just feel the need to be like, hey, man, remember that catch? It was pretty dumb. <laughs> well, we share the same birthday. So I, I always text them on, on, my, on my birthday and, and, uh, and share that. But we do, you know, still, still keep up with David and, and send some text messages. And if someone makes a great catch or a great play, you know, we'll kind of say, well, it's not, not as good as yours. You know, not as good as your play, David. So we still, you know, still keep up. And he's local in the – New Jersey area. So, uh, see him around. Uh, last thing, just on the, the NFTs, where can people go? I know it's on maker's place, but where can people go if they want to see them, check it out. And then I'm sure there's going to be an auction they can get involved with. Yeah. So I think, you know, maker's place is, is going to be the, the spot where you can go and, and see all the pieces. So everything will be, uh, will be on there. Um, you know, to, to, you know, see, see what's out there. And, and, you know, again, uh, not giving too much information on, exactly what these pieces will look like and some of the uh, hidden meaning uh, and, you know, words and symbols that are in the pieces. So that's for the fans to, to look mm. at and to see that they can 
figure some of these out and, and notice some of these uh, hidden sim- uh, symbols and icons in some of these pieces of work. What I love is that talking to Mahomes about it, it like his was like the museum of Mahomes. And in a way, you know, when a president gets done their term, they, they build a museum for them. And I think with the way quarterbacks are, are treated and revered, you know, I like your dad deserved uh, a museum, you know, like other giants, like Phil Sims deserves a museum that if you're really a fan of these people, whether it's digitally or in person, you can go and check out. So I, I love that notion. With that being said, the museum of Tom Brady is going to be insane. Um, and, and here we are talking about the David Tyree catch. Uh, and for a lot of quarterbacks, they may never get back again uh, for him to do what he did. And, and you, I think, had a run for the most games played in a row, right? Like you had that streak going on. So you understand how tough durability is. To put into perspective what he's doing right now, what does it say to you, someone that actually did it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to put words how, how impressive it is. And um, it, it's not just staying healthy and playing a full season. And, and it's the fact that, you know, just for, especially this season where – you change teams, new new coach, you know, especially if you've been one place for 20 years. I mean, you get accustomed to just the way things are run, the way things are done, the way meetings are, the way, you know, what's expected of you, just the flow of practices and everything. And then all of a sudden that's kind of thrown, you know, thrown out the window. You start all over at a new place, new city, new ownership, coaches and offense and players, and you still get the same results of going to a Super Bowl is it, it, so impressive just in that first year. And so – you know, there's obviously ups and downs to the whole to his whole season, but the fact that he was able to kind of overcome those downs, not not let that worry him, not that let that linger for multiple games, and you know, when it comes to playoffs, he just you know he finds a way, and, and it's, you know whether it's him playing at a high level or him motivating people around him to elevate their level of play, whatever it is, there's something there that. Uh, enables those teams to, you know, the teams that he's on to play at a super high level and to, you know, make the make the most of all their talents, and it's just impressive. John Elway was the first guy in the draft that kind of said, "Listen, I'll go play baseball if the wrong team drafts me." You came around and said, "Look, I want to play in New York," and it made it happen. This off season in the NFL with the quarterbacks moving all over the place. We just had Sam Darnold go to Carolina, Matt Stafford to LA, Jared Goff back to Detroit. uh, And there's so many more that I'm not even listing right now. We're we're definitely in like a new world when it comes to this. And I, and I feel like I actually, I have no idea what you think about. What do you think about all this movement? Yeah. I mean, it kind of, you know, in a way it reminds you of college football now, now the way it is that you can just, you know, you can pop around and move around and, and that's more the players deciding say, well, I chose to come here, but you know, someone beat me out. So I'm going to go play somewhere else. Now it's kind of the, the NFL uh, GMs and owners just saying, all right, you know, we had a, we had a three-year run with him, you know, let's try something else and let's just tr- trade and move on and get someone else. So you just, you know, it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's a new world. It used to be, you kind of get your quarterback and you you stick with them and you ride. Do with you them like for- the the power that the quarterbacks are wielding right now? Do you like that they're going? You know what? I, I don't I don't want to be here. I don't want to have to sit in this franchise for the next ten years. You know, I, I don't I don't know if that's the right move. I mean, I think there's mm-hmm. you know, there, there's obviously a time when you do uh, you know always thought there's kind of a time when you do have a little power if you are kind of in the last year of your contract where you can decide, hey, do I want to resign or do I want to maybe you know kind of play this last year and 
either leave or, or have this team pony up and, and kind of trust in my ability to play. I, I don't know necessarily like it when you, you know, signing a new contract and then quickly saying, oh, mm. now I want out of here. I want to leave. Right. I, I think that kind of gives the wrong impression. I think it is important when, you know, that you do make a commitment to a team. And if they make a commitment to you, you kind of return, return that back. And, and so, you know, you don't, you, you hate to, kind of lose you know lose that uh with players that it is not you know you don't show importance in making that decision about where you want to be kind of before you sign that contract not after it uh, i got one last question because if i don't ask it and i know you got to go but gabe uh my one of my uh my techs here is going to kick my ass because he's a huge giants fan and he loves you but it was a big off season for your g-men uh, I mean, they really went out, uh, whether it was re-signing Leonard Williams, some of the free agents they signed, Kenny Galladay. Uh, and it's also now year three of Daniel Jones, where a lot of growth is going to happen and Saquon's coming back from injury. It was a wide open NFC East that Washington advanced to the playoffs. And I, I don't even know if they were 500. What are you looking at with the Giants and, and what are you expecting of, of this franchise next season? Yeah, I mean, I think I think they're on the right, uh, kind of on the right path to getting back to being a, a playoff team. And, uh, and you know, obviously they made a big splash in free agency signing players. Um, you know, it shows the commitment from the ownership side that hey, they they want to put a great team together. They they want to get the players. They want to help out Daniel Jones, surround him with players. Obviously, getting Saquon back will, will be great. But signing a big time receiver. Uh, to to help out that offense uh, was you know was the must you know had had to, had to happen and they did that and so you know I think Daniel um, you know I think ha- you know having the second year within the same offense will help him I think he understands uh, the work that goes into being a successful quarterback that you know what's required of him now it's a matter of, hey going out there being healthy being confident and and going to make those plays so i think he has kind of all the the right mindset to go out there and i think now you know they're starting to put some players around them um and and getting guys back healthy have an offensive line that's a little bit more mature this year knows what's going on will all those will help them and you know just be able to win some of those tight games and and that's that's kind of the difference in the nfl can you win Mm -hmm. those fourth quarter you know, three or four point games and make those plays at critical moments. And it's not just him, it's everybody around him, but it's, it's kind of that belief, uh, I think, in, in, in the quarterback. Um, you know, when they believe in him, everybody steps up and, and seems to make plays uh, in, the, in those critical moments. Two of those games, that's the difference between 10-6 and six and 8-8. Eight and eight. And that's the difference in winning the division and sitting at home during the playoffs. The Manning Legacy Collection on Maker's Place will be launching next week, April 16th. Really cool moments. I see the art behind Eli Manning right now, which means he has <laughs> eye and he has taste and he is bringing that to the digital world. Non-fungible tokens, Eli. You're, you're the tech wizard now. I didn't realize you were this smart. Good for you. Uh, appreciate it. That was a lot of fun. So still, still learning at this uh, this level and this this business as well, though. All right. So I'm gonna I'll call you for some financial advice. But other than that, good luck next week. Congratulations. Perfect. Thanks so much. Good talking to you, brother.